Hey everybody, Casey Putney here. Welcome to episode 14 of the Leadership for Life podcast. As you can probably tell, this episode is going to be a bit different. There's no music added to the beginning of this episode. There's been no production or editing. No one else has even participated in this episode. It's all me. I'm going to talk about some of what we see going on in the world today, particularly in the United States. And I'm solely responsible for what is said here. I'm just, it's just me and a microphone on this one. Maybe you're exhausted with everything that's going on. If so, I understand. Maybe you feel overwhelmed with the protests, rioting, the fighting, and the loss of life. If so, I understand. But I need you to listen to me for just a few minutes, please. We, we have to listen to one another in order for us to move forward in some kind of way. Maybe, just maybe, this can be a first step. For each one of us that wants to help but feels a bit lost right now, hate is a powerful thing. It spreads like a disease taking on plague-like momentum, wreaking havoc in the lives of all it meets. Not bound by race, religion, gender, or sexual preferences, hate possesses the ability to infiltrate the soul of every being that inhabits our world. It comes in varying forms, appearing in thousands of different ways. Hate has infiltrated our, our civilization, seeking only to destroy. No other form of hate has been so widely documented within the borders of the United States than that of racism. The Random House College Dictionary tells us that racism is the intolerance of another's race. It's so much more than that. For an individual to understand the power of this poison, one must unfortunately experience the appalling effects that racism has on its victims. There are no movies or books that can fully explain the damages that hatred creates when it attacks in the form of racism, and unfortunately, there's no substitute for the lesson of racism that life so painfully teaches. Hatred, racism, they're an enemy to anyone interested in creating a society built on respect and unity. But there's another poison. Another poison that oftentimes gets overlooked. A poison that causes just as much damage and pain as the others. This poison goes by the name of indifference. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I don't claim to be an expert in the field of sociology. I, I don't possess years of education from the finest universities in our land. I'm simply a man. A white man married to a black woman. Working to raise two black children inside of a world that sometimes makes no sense. I've seen racism. I felt it a bit, but certainly not at the scale of what my wife and other minorities have endured. 
and as I sit here with you right now, I'm absolutely positive that we as a family will endure it again. I've lived much of my life trying to become a better man. I do this by studying the teachings and lessons that life has seen fit to send my way. I'm a white man. Ready to talk about the issues that affect us all. I don't I don't claim to have all the answers to all the questions. But I do feel that it's possible for us to find them together. But first, we must learn to communicate with each other. We must share our innermost feelings in complete honesty with one another as well as with ourselves. That's precisely what I'll attempt to do in this setting. I I ask only that you lend me your ear. And for the next few minutes, just listen. I attended 7th grade at Missouri's Popper Bluff Junior High. I don't remember many of the days I spent in those hallways. But one day in particular stands out. I had just informed my classmates that I was moving to Cape Girardeau when Gordon, a black friend that I had known since 5th grade, changed my life with one simple sentence. They don't like black people there, he said to me. They don't like black people there. My mom's job was transferring her from Popper Bluff to the much larger city of Cape Girardeau. The move itself didn't have me really too worried. My, my mother and I had already moved several times, and I was almost becoming accustomed to saying goodbye to friends, and I guess, I guess I felt at peace about doing so again. Gordon's comment, however, had shaken me and immediately thrust me into the realization of racial differences that my seventh grade mind had never considered. My mother never poisoned me with the belief that there was a difference between black and white people. Certainly I could see that physically our skin was different, but that's as far as it went for me. I I played with everyone in my neighborhood, never giving thought to the fact that my skin was white and his or hers may or may not have been. It simply was, wasn't a concern to me. I wasn't taught that, that we were all the same under God's eye, but I was also never told that we weren't. I naively believed that society followed my line of thinking. How silly. How silly and uninformed I must have seemed. In front of me was someone I considered a friend. Yet with Gordon's statement, he provided evidence that I would never understand a part of his life and the reality that he lived with. Gordon had introduced me to the idea that there were indeed people existing in our society that judged and classified individuals by the color of their skin. This realization left me terrified. Never before had I confronted such an idea. Never before had the concept of disliking someone because of his or her skin color entered my mind. I I wondered if there were indeed white people who hated black people simply due to their skin tone. Were there also black people that would inevitably hate me simply due to my own skin color? Immediately, this, this move didn't seem like a good idea. But once it simply seemed nothing more than a formality, now left me almost paralyzed in fear. 
While I struggled to understand Gordon's statement and its implications, I failed to realize that my entire outlook on life and the world as I knew it had changed at that moment. I'd been attending educational facilities since the age of five and was preparing to enter my high school years. However, not until that moment did my real education begin. Looking back upon that occurrence, I'm, I'm aware of how socially ignorant I was. One could argue that a 7th grader shouldn't understand the ideology of bigotry and racism. Certainly it should serve as a testament to my mother that I didn't prescribe to the ideals of hatred and, that circulated throughout our society. Nevertheless, to be unfamiliar with the concept of racism still seems almost unbelievable to me today. Gordon, Gordon, a, a 12-year-old black male, certainly understood the power of hatred and bigotry. I often wonder what events he must have been forced to endure that taught him the cruel reality of hatred. How I could have possibly existed in such a society and never realized what must have been going on around me remains a mystery to this day. Could any black male living in society make the same claim? I find it very hard to believe that today there exists a black male in society that at 12 years of age is not already very aware of the racial prejudices that exist within our society. Gordon's simple statement, they don't like black people there. Introduce me to the ugly truth about our society and the sickening facts regarding the beliefs and ideals of many in our world. It was at that precise moment in life that I became abundantly aware that there was indeed a difference between black and white people, not a, not a difference that made one person any better than another simply due to their skin color, but a difference in how certain people in society would judge and treat others based solely on the color of their skin. Many people in today's society find themselves in much the same position as I was leading into that 7th grade year before Gordon opened my eyes to the kind of society that we sadly belong. So many non-minority individuals go about their day-to-day -day activities never realizing or recognizing the underlying hatred and bigotry that exists within our society. This lack of knowledge regarding the unique differences and social challenges that exist between differing races lies at the heart of this nation's overlooked crisis regarding racial injustice. It's a very emotional topic. Many people would rather avoid any and all conversations regarding race relations. However, until we as a people are able to engage in some form of conversation regarding the challenges that lay before us, we will be ill-prepared to face the struggle we find ourselves in today and the inevitable tests that await us in the future. Look, I, I don't want to minimize the complexities of this challenge. I, I'm going to talk real quick about kind of two schools of thought, but I, but I also understand that there may very well be more than one 
more than we can count. In the most simple of terms, there seems to be two schools of thought to me as it relates to society and the subject of race relations, that of the white populace and the other from the minority viewpoint. Not, not until everyone is able to have a basic understanding of the other's views will we as a society ever move beyond the boundaries of race that separate us today. Many within the white community are fully aware of racism. They know it's real. They're good-hearted, caring individuals. And they live a life of indifference. They don't know how to help. They would, if they knew how. But they don't know what to do. They're supportive if the conversation comes up, but they're leery to bring it up themselves. The fear of saying something wrong or of offending keeps them silent. Some within the white community find it difficult to believe that racism still exists on a large scale within the boundaries of the United States, even with everything going on today. Certainly, there's evidence of the unstable old-timer, trapped mentally in the 1950s, spouting racial epitaphs. However, over 50 years removed from the civil rights struggle, many people believe this type of person to be rare, if not extinct. It's difficult for some in white America to believe that the reality of racism extends past this sad figurehead of discrimination, even today with the murders of unarmed black men in the streets of America, even today, with prisons overflowing with minorities, even today, with case after case showing that innocent black men and women have been sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit. Look, most non-minority individuals never dedicate any thought to the concept of racism. For the most part, they never experience it. They're never the only white person in the room. Their children are, are never the only white kids in school. It's difficult for anyone to understand a subject he or she has never experienced. Likewise, it's human nature to convince oneself that racism is mostly gone if one never sees it. Thus, it becomes tempting, even easy, to convince themselves that racism is simply an ugly stain on the history of the United States that's slowly fading away. And that the tragedy surrounding our loss of George Floyd and others are only isolated incidents. Unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. Racism exists, and the hatred that burns deep within the souls of those with no tolerance towards another's race still serves as a catalyst to violence. If the majority of the white community never consider racism, then it has to be the polar opposite within the minority population. The possibility of racism is always there, lurking in the shadows. The result can be a minority society that is oftentimes guarded and suspicious of outsiders. It's a sad but true fact. Minorities face much different questions within the framework of everyday life, than do others. Why did I not get the job? What jokes do my co-workers tell in private? Will I be judged by my qualifications and skills or my race and color? 
Why do my neighbors seem to avoid me? Imagine living a life filled with so many questions and uncertainties. Many minorities attempt to avoid these types of questions, seemingly convincing themselves that no one judges them based on their race. Eventually, spirits broken, and oftentimes filled with rage, these individuals come to the clear conclusion that no matter how hard they work, no matter how high their grades, no matter what they wear, how they speak, or how accomplished they become, someone will always judge them because of their race. Other folks are quite aware of the reality of racism, so aware, in fact, that they allow the uncertainties of society to invade their every thought and motivation. They're reminded of the judgment and ridicule they face every time a black man or woman is killed in the streets, oftentimes blinded by the very thought of racial inequality. They begin to morph into the very individuals that they so adamantly stand against. Some within the minority culture work really hard every day to try and find peace in society and within themselves. They endure the glances, the awkward conversations. They endure them and try to remain silent, just in hopes of finding some semblance of peace. They know racism exists. They know their children are in danger when they're outside of the home. Not in danger just from the criminal element. Not in danger just from the freak accident or bad decisions. But in danger from those that smile to their face and wish harm behind their back. Some see the murder of Mr. Floyd and the countless events that resemble his and become angry. Tired of turning the other cheek. Others become almost immune to the disrespect, immune to the hurt and pain, immune to the indifference that so many of their supposed friends and co-workers have about their right to life. Their right to life. Have you been indifferent? I'm sure you care. I'm sure you're a good person. But have you been indifferent? Have you avoided the topic of race because it scares you? Indifference is a poison. And the people that practice hate, the people that laugh at these tragedies, they count on our indifference. They thrive because of our indifference. I believe it imperative that we all understand the sobering realism that racism does indeed exist, within our society, to argue otherwise, only serves to further divide our nation. Only after accepting the sobering reality of the state of the world can we then ask the all-important question, can we change this world? On May 25th, George Floyd was murdered in the street with people watching murdered by a law enforcement officer while other officers stood by and let it happen because of a code, a code of brotherhood and loyalty to the badge. It's not the first time it's happened, and it won't be the last. 
Since then, I've fallen silent. I haven't posted on social media. I haven't created podcast episodes. I haven't engaged in coaching sessions. In fact, not until a couple of days ago did I even talk about it to my wife. I felt angry. Angry that another person's life was taken with so little regard. Angry that his death has been posted on social media for all to see, further robbing him of his dignity. I felt sadness. Sadness because I see cities burning. Sadness because of the death of Mr. Floyd and the lack of justice I fear is in waiting for his family. Sadness because I know there are thousands of wonderful caring police officers having to endure the repercussions associated with the actions of the ignorant, who also wore a badge. I felt confused. Confused at how seemingly good people that I know can be so ignorant to the most important issue facing us today. I've heard people that I know, people that I respect, say some of the dumbest things ever. More black people are killed by other black people than white people. Please stop with that type of propaganda. It's the, it's the type of language used when no one wants to confront the issue. It's like saying more people die of heart disease than cancer. Should we then stop chasing a cure for cancer? I've heard people say if they, if, if they weren't doing anything wrong, then nothing would happen to them. This may be one of the biggest lies ever told. It speaks also to the lack of value we put on the human life. Hear me now. People of color are dying. Innocent people are dying. Unarmed people are dying. Even more. It doesn't matter if they resisted. It doesn't matter if they ran. It doesn't matter if they were involved in a crime. They don't need to die. Listen to me. If a person walks up to my business with a can of gasoline and a torch, he or she should burn my building down and walk away alive. Folks, it's just brick and mortar. Is it horrible? Yes. But at some point, we have to value human life over everything else. Who are we? Who do we want to be? So I felt confused. I felt helpless. Helpless because I want to do something. But nothing seems enough. I feel lost. I feel lost. And I'm a white male. Are you kidding me? I can't even imagine the abundance of feelings whirling around inside of a race of people that have endured prejudice and racism their entire lives. I often talk about the desire we all have to be valued, respected, appreciated, and heard. That truth has never been more clear than today. When I see the protesters, I see a group of people that want to be heard, that desire to be valued. When I see the anger in the black community, I see a group of people that just want to be respected and appreciated. So what can we do? What can we do as a people to try and change something? 
I've sat and watched you post on social media. Your posts have been supportive of the struggle. I get it. I know that you're desperate to help you. You want everyone to know that you're sickened by the acts of violence and indifference. I get it. I've seen pastors make angry posts about the disrespect of a politician as exhibited and then urge everyone to make the posts go viral. And while I'll never be able to fully understand the anger this black pastor lives with, I understand the desire to be valued, respected, appreciated, and heard. I've seen others simply say, my home is a safe place. Come to me if you're seeking refuge. I've seen politicians make their standard statements of how terrible things are and how we must come together in order to defeat racism. It sounds good. But in all honesty, I've heard it before. It all sounds wonderful. But it also sounds like a lot of wonderful people wanting to change the ugly in the world without really knowing how to do so. I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? How do good people make a change? How do we stop being indifferent? How do we stop being indifferent? Is it by protesting? Is it by rioting, by looting, by burning buildings? Is it by fighting on social media? Is it by arguing with ignorance? I don't know. I, I really don't know anymore. Remember, I'm just a man. But this is called the Leadership for Life podcast. And here we try to find leadership solutions for life's challenges and problems. It's a podcast about potential. Potential. That word means something different to me today. Because I think of our communities and their potential. I think of our churches and their potential. I think of you and me and our potential, our true potential. Our potential to bring about change. If you've listened to me before, chances are you've heard me challenge you to become a conqueror. We've never before needed you to find your potential. Hear me now, my friends, loud and clear. Racism is not a black community problem. It's a human problem. It's a human problem that we have asked the black community to shoulder and endure, oftentimes alone, for far too long. We need conquerors now. The most powerful weapon we have at our disposal is conversations, honest conversations. Have you had them? The kind where you listen. Do you have a friend or acquaintance that's a minority? If you care, truly care about what's going on in the world, reach out to them. Talk to them. Ask them how they're doing. Tell them you care. Tell them you're open to talking and would love to learn about their experiences. Ask them if you can ask questions. Learn. 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 And in doing so, Show them that you value them, that you respect them, appreciate them, and that you're ready to hear them. I know you're scared of saying something wrong. So what? Tell them that. 
I'm serious, up front. Just say, I want to have this conversation, but I'm scared. Because of my ignorance of your experiences, I might say something wrong. Will you forgive me if I do? Folks, we have to start talking. We have to start communicating. We have to start learning. I don't know how we change a nation. Maybe maybe we do it one relationship at a time. But I know it has to come from us. Washington isn't helping. Hollywood isn't helping. In many places, our own community leaders aren't helping. It has to come from us. If you don't have anyone to talk to, reach out to me. You can talk to someone in my family. We have to talk. If you're listening to this and you are a minority, reach out to me if you want to talk. I'll freely share my feelings, my thoughts, my experiences. I'll desperately, I I, I desperately want to listen to yours. I want to learn from you. This is a human problem. And we all have to learn from one another. We all have to listen. And know this. You need to be talking to people that see things differently than you. You need to be talking to people that have different experiences than you. You need to be talking to people that come from different communities, different beliefs, different religions, different pains, and different suffering. Do we care enough to do that? Do we care enough to be uncomfortable? Do we do we care enough to cry with one another? Do we care enough to listen to one another? Churches, please host conversations. Step down from the pulpit and sit across someone different than you. Pastors, please facilitate these conversations. Create a safe place to have them. Police officers, reach out to the people you serve and protect and show them that you also listen and care. If you have people in your life that are a minority, reach out to them. Minorities, reach out and learn. Reach out to the people and ask questions. Reach out to people and truly try to understand them. Listen, folks, it's, it's about conversations. Only through conversations will we ever get to know the content of a person's character. I know you may not feel like talking. I get it. I've wanted to cry. I've wanted to rage. I've wanted to lock myself away and wait for the fires to stop burning. But our desire to listen must burn brighter than our desire to anger. Our desire to change the world must burn brighter than our desire to go back to sleep and act like it's not our problem. It's time now. I know you're sorting through a thousand different emotions, but it's time. It's time for us to be bigger than the challenge, bigger than the moment, bigger than the fear, bigger than the awkwardness. John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. I've carved out a big piece of my life based on that belief. In the midst of all this turmoil, I've looked for leadership. In the midst of the senseless deaths, I've looked for leadership. In the midst of the fires, the protests, and angry debates, I've looked for leadership. 
Here in Omaha, I've looked for leadership. In Minnesota, I've looked for leadership. In Louisville, I've looked for leadership. In Washington, D.C., I've looked for leadership. And everywhere I look, I've found it in short supply. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Please be the leader we need today. Be the leader that has the courage to listen. Go have some conversations, please. Please don't hesitate. Please don't be indifferent. I'm wishing you nothing but the very best. Good luck out there, and please always remember, I'm here to help. I'm truly here to help.